Good morning, Spire Network. Hope you are all having a great Monday. We're excited to be able to bring another episode of SpireCast uh, to you today. We're excited to be able to play um, a, a great uh, segment from our uh, Spire Conference 2019, uh, where John Tyson spoke and had, had a great speech on, um, on authority. And uh, really excited to be able to reprise that with you this morning. And our guest this morning is going to be Matt Reagan. Matt is the associate um, um, uh, minister, associate leader at um, Southeast Christian Church and really a big John Tyson fan. And I'm um, looking forward to our discussion uh, about the uh, the talk that John gave here in just a little bit. Um, before I do, I want to let you know the Spire Conference 2021 that's coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, is feels like it's far away, but no, it's just around the corner, September 14 through the 16. If you haven't had a chance yet to register, uh, go to spireconference.network. There you'll be able to get the very best prices. We have some group rates and some great price breaks for you, as well as the best prices on housing, uh, and definitely plan to be a part of this uh, great time together. For many, it'll, it'll be the first time to really sort of regather as leaders. It'll be the first time to get together in a, in, a, in a nice setting that we might be able to encourage one another. We might be able to contribute to uh, the forward movement of ministry and really uh, take a look at what it means to be leading forward in this time. So the Spire Conference, Nashville, Tennessee, September 14th through 16. Uh, please make plans to be a part of it. I know you don't want to miss it. We're looking forward to it. Uh, so let me go ahead and bring on uh, Matt Reagan right now. Matt, again, thank you so much for joining us today. I know uh, you have mentioned several times to me just how much John Tyson uh, has meant to you as a leader and uh, in, in his uh, writing. And um, I know that you were at Spire Conference 2019, got to hear him, got to see him lead a uh, breakout session as well. And um, yeah, maybe you can just share a little bit about uh, what John's sort of meant to your leadership and, and uh, why yeah. he's such an important voice. Yeah, kind of two things. One, just being honest, uh, I came to Spire 2019, and I, and I was pretty surprised. I'm, I'm throwing this in for free, Chris, because uh, I, I, I loved watching the dynamic of Spire shift. I loved the space for teams, the focus on the leader's heart, uh, leader's team, and the leader's church, uh, both, you know, uh, getting healthy and moving forward. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just being honest. I, I went and I was like, ah, you know. And then literally started jumping in, and uh, we're going to have a, a whole bunch of our crew go there. It's such a great uh, leadership space, and so I'm excited. So I came, and I was just surprised. I think I, – I, and I really was, man. I, I was surprised by a whole bunch, by Spire, but also I, I was. I, you know, John Tyson came on. I was like, yeah, I don't – you know, a couple people told me, oh, he's the millennial Tim Keller. And I was like, that's a bold statement, my friend, to say that you're the millennial, you know, the, the Tim Keller for millennials. And then I heard him speak, and I just um, thought, wow, who is this guy? I went to his, his preaching uh, session afterwards, and literally since then, uh, he's done a series called Controversial uh, Jesus that he did in the heart of New York. And I'm telling you, I've, I've given it to every young man that I've discipled, um, a lot of our elders, um, deacons, staff members, all of our young staff members, I've probably sent it to good night, probably four or 500 people legitimately, um, just to say, hey, this is the new dialogue uh, that's coming and is on some of these sensitive topics. Um, I took his book, Beautiful Resistance, on a two-week vacation with my wife, literally, that I just got back from, and it rocked my world. It was just good. Uh, he's a solid dude. I'm excited about spending some time processing what he has to say today. 
Awesome. Well, um, when I first uh, saw this and I, I, I thought about it, I remembered him talking about, you know, really setting this up. What is the greatest leadership challenge for our time? And because this was in 2019, it would have been pre-COVID. It would have been you know, before uh, some of the most recent uh, things that we have all gone through in terms of leadership. And I worried, oh, no, is this going to hold up? But I rewatched a little bit of it. And wow, it really does. I mean, it's really a fantastic talk. So excited to be able to bring uh, to you today John Tyson uh, from Spire Conference 2019. Go ahead, let's roll it. Well, what a powerful morning so far, and I'm excited to be able to continue along by addressing this question, and I've wrestled deeply with it. What is the greatest challenge of leadership in our moment? And in thinking through this, I thought, well, perhaps the greatest challenge is consumerism in our culture. People view the church as a product, and they sort of come and take it, and they just leave. But I thought there's got to be a reason behind that. Maybe it's our relevance to the questions that the culture is asking. Maybe that's the greatest leadership challenge we face. The culture's trying to have one conversation and leaders are simply having another one. Maybe it's the issue of technology and transition and change. Maybe things are moving so quickly we're just left behind. But as I sat with these things, I actually thought there's something below this that I believe is the greatest challenge of leadership in our hour. And in fact, I would upgrade the language from challenge to crisis. And this is what I believe it is. The greatest thing the leader will face in our time is the crisis of authority. The crisis of authority. And this is something that affects us more deeply than we know. It's actually the foundation from which we do all of our ministry. We live at a moment of history where the church has no authority in the larger cultural conversation. I don't know if you're aware of this, in the next 30 years, it's estimated that 42 million people will leave the church. 50% of all churches in America will close in the next 30 years. We can't renew and we can't plant quick enough to keep up with the decline that is upon us. We are no longer relevant in the world that we are called to lead. There is a crisis of authority. It's obvious, but the word authority contains the word author. And this is really a question about who is going to narrate the story of the future. In whose hand is the pen that will determine the future of this nation? Who will authorize these things? Well, we live in an age where an entire generation says, it won't be your authority. The church won't author the story of my future. Charles Taylor, who is a, a Catholic sociologist who's written about this, says the challenge we faith, face is that people no longer want our authority because we live in an age of authenticity. This is how he puts it. When he talks about an age of authenticity, he said, I mean the understanding of life which emerges with the romantic expressivism of the late 18th century, that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that it's important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with the model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. I I hope you catch this. Look at what he says. We now have a generation that says, nobody is going to have any authority in my life except me. He says, I want freedom from any external forces trying to exert authority from me. I want freedom from any larger societal norms or expectations. I want freedom from the previous generation. They will have no authority over me. There will be no religious authority that tells me how to live my life when it comes to morality, ethics, or preferences. 
And political authority is something that we find increasingly hopeless and people are not willing to grant the future of their lives based on any given political leader. And this makes it harder and harder for you and I because we believe that God has given us authority to lead, but we just live in a world that in many ways questions our right to use it. So how do we deal with this reality? If the church is hemorrhaging people, society is not interested in any sort of authority rather than one derived from the self, how do we lead? If we don't have a foundation for leadership in our world, this is why I believe this is the leader's greatest challenge. It's the recovering of authority. But how do we go about doing that? Well, I want to just present three shifts that I think need to happen when it comes to the issue of leadership and authority, that if we take these to heart, I think we'll open up new doors of influence and kingdom work in our day. The first one is this, it's a shift from hierarchical authority to relational authority. You're probably aware of this, but by saying as a parent, because I said so, only lasts the length that you can personally exert physical and financial power over your child. The second they outgrow that, they leave you. And in many ways saying, because I'm the pastor, or because I'm the leader, carries about that same lifespan, a very, very short one, where people by necessity find themselves under our leadership. So we have to shift from leading out of our position to leading relationally. And to me, particularly as we talk about raising up the next generation, this is an issue about whether or not we're going to be a leader or a tutor or actually a spiritual parent to those who come up under us. I know you're aware of this, but you're not the best teacher in the world. Are you aware of that? You're aware of this, that everybody in your church is listening to all the best teachers in the world. Everybody in your church is podcasting preachers probably better than you. So if you think, well, I've got the content, I've got the insights and the understanding, they can't get it from anywhere else, wrong. They can get it from everywhere else. Literally, while they're eating a burrito, they're listening to Tim Keller, folks. (laughs) So you have to realize it's not going to be content or position. It's going to be the impartation of my heart. And leadership will have to come from relational authority. Paul talks about this when he says, I have become for you not just a tutor, you have hundreds of tutors, but in the gospel, I've become a father to you, a father to you. And so we have to have a vision that shifts from leading out of hierarchy to leading out of relationship. And this is this rich vision of spiritual parenting. Now, I want to read a passage of scripture, but I just want to let you, let this wash over you. How many of you have seen a passage like I'm about to read as a leadership vision and statement? Hear God's word. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God's our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You were our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among those who believed. For you know we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. 
encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul lists out, instead of using apostolic hierarchy and authority, four things that defined his approach. He says, we weren't there to people please. This was not an issue about people's skills. We weren't putting on a mask like we had everything together, pretending to be something that we were not. We weren't flattering you to try and get you to do what we wanted. And our desire was not to take from you, to utilize you as a commodity for our own mission. He says, in fact, that they were about pleasing God and authenticity and speaking the truth and generosity. And then you see the apostle, and Paul's somewhat of an alpha male. You see him resort to this spiritual parenting language. He says that I was like a mother among you. I was gentle. I cared for you and I nursed. This is the Greek word napoi. literally means the image of a breastfeeding mother with her child. Is there a more intimate image in the human experience? This is what Paul says, I brought you into my heart with care. But then he turns around and he says, I also acted like a father among you. I comforted, I encouraged, and I urged you to live lives worthy of the kingdom of God in our midst. And so we have to realize that if we are going to regain authority and credibility in the lives of the emerging generation, we cannot lead from hierarchy. We have to lead out of relationship. Which means the normal tool of leadership, which is keeping people at a distance, the walls have to go down so we let the next generation into our heart. It is not an impartation purely of skill or position, but of love and gifting. We have to shift from this vision of hierarchical to relational authority. And this is a shift in question from who's in charge to who can I trust. This is what the next generation is asking. Not who's in charge, but who can I trust? Who can I bring my true self to and believe that I'll actually be nurtured and raised up and developed? The second shift is from institutional authority to spiritual authority. The institutional role of the church in our world today is deeply, deeply compromised. Every scandal that you can think of has happened in recent times. Abuses of power, financial impropriety, the Me Too movement inside the church, the scandal and sexual abuse inside the Catholic church. There just isn't much institutional authority left. Which means when we show up and say that we are ambassadors of God to the world around us, it's greeted with a a rolled eye response or a cynicism or a deep resistance at worst. And so our default then is to fight to try and regain cultural power. Can I just give you a pro tip here? Fear and grabbing for power are not compelling narratives for the emerging generation. And so trying to reclaim this power then compromises our spiritual authority. Leslie Newbegin says this, when the church tries to embody the rule of God in the forms of earthly power, it may achieve that power, but it's no longer a sign of the kingdom. And that's the reality we're facing. As we fight for control in our culture, less and less people say that seems like the way of Jesus and I'm interested. But contrast this with Jesus. This was Jesus' authority. Matthew 7, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. A church without spiritual authority, relying only on institutional authority, is a church that is bound to depend on technique. And the issues that we face in this generation will not be solved 
through leadership technique. These are issues of power that we're facing. In many ways, we've become like the seven sons of Sceva. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage in Acts chapter 19. This is a season of ministry where the Apostle Paul has, um, is experiencing an extraordinary anointing where even handkerchiefs that he touches cast out demons and heal the sick. And so people realize Paul has spiritual authority and they ask the question, not what is his walk with God like? What has he suffered? What price has he paid to obtain this power? They ask, how do I do the technique? And so it says, many people began to rise up. It says that in Acts 19, that many began to go around using this formula, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out while they're trying to do exorcisms. And then one day, the seven sons of Sceva come along and they say, we've got a leadership technique to exert influence. And here's their response. In the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And what is the result of this? It says, bleeding and naked. They were beaten up by the demon-possessed man and they fled. And can I humbly submit that what is happening in our world at large right now is that many leaders have relied on leadership technique and they've engaged a battle relying on spiritual authority that others possess. And as a result, we are witnessing with our eyes the triumph of darkness and the demonic over the church and we flee in nakedness in total retreat because we have no spiritual authority. When you rely on leadership technique, when you rely on the power of the institution speaking for somebody else rather than the hand of God being upon your life, there's very little option. We see this again in the ministry of Jesus with the disciples. Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration and the Father speaks over him and his inner circle see it and they come down from the mountain and Jesus walks down to a dispute that's happening. And it's a dispute between the teachers of the law and the disciples. And Jesus says, what's happening? And a man comes forth and he says, well, I have a child who has a demon in him and your disciples can't get him out. And so Jesus does an interview with a man, finds the problem and then casts the demon out of the man. And everybody's in awe of the person of Jesus. And later the disciples come along and they ask this question, why couldn't we cast the spirit out? What a question. Why couldn't we cast the spirit out? Now, remember, in their previous ministry, they had cast demons out. Remember the ministry of the 72. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And so I guess this is a question we should be asking ourselves. Why is it that we cannot fruitfully and powerfully engage the culture that we live in? Why can't we cast out the demonic forces that seem to be disrupting and haunting our generation? Why is it that we can't cast out the decline of the church? Why can't we do this? It's a question we rarely ask. But you see, when they did ask that question, they had no power to respond to it. So what did they do? They resorted to theological debate. So when Jesus finds the disciples, they're having a discussion about a theology of exorcism. And Jesus walks right through the theology with power and drives the demon out. And whenever a church has no power, it has to resort to theological nuance. And so here Jesus says the reason you couldn't cast it out is because this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And then Jesus, you'll notice, doesn't say, leave the demon-possessed boy here and I'll be back. I'm going to go to a quick three-day fast and then I'll be back with some power. Jesus just lived in a state of spiritual authority. 
The disciples were imitating technique. Jesus was focusing his time on intimacy with the Father. And so I want to say to us, as we face these mini challenges in our life, and we look to drive out the enemies of God and the the enemies of the church in our age, when we ask the question, why won't it come out? Don't fall into theological debate and do not rely on ministry technique. Better social media graphics will not win the heart of the next generation. More relevant sermon series will not win the heart of the next generation. New buildings and new schemes will not win the heart of the next generation. Until the people of God are filled with authority, we will continue to fall back into powerless theological debate. This kind, the kind that you and I are facing, is a different kind than other generations have faced. And it will not go out out with normal business. We need leaders who have been with God as the focus of their life. We need men and women of prayer and fasting who seek first the kingdom of God. We need men and women willing to contend for breakthrough against the opposition we face in our time. We need to be clothed with power from on high. And so this to me is a shift from official leaders to spirit-empowered servants. Official leaders to spirit-empowered servants. We need to be people who bear the mark of the hand of God upon us and minister out of His authority. When I first came to the United States, I had a scholarship to uh, study theology. It's why I ended up in this amazing country. Thank you for having me. And before I had come over here, I, I had had this supernatural encounter with God. And I became a Christian in a Pentecostal revival. It was, I'd never planned to be a Christian, and I'd never, certainly never planned to become a Pentecostal. In fact, when I first went to the church, I remember thinking two things. Number one, there's a lot of attractive young women here. And number two, this is absolutely a cult that I'm getting sucked into. But over the course of time, God melted my heart and I had this extraordinary encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it just, it changed my life. And one of the things I felt God begin to do in my heart was to confront this issue of authority. I was a high school dropout. I dropped out of high school when I was 16 to work in a meat factory in Australia. Uh, I dropped out of Bible college. In fact, I dropped out of five Bible colleges and three seminaries. And um, I guess I'm just not much of a finisher. I'm a starter. (laughs) But in the early years of my faith, I would set my alarm and I would get up every day and I would spend a couple of hours crying out to God. And I would just say, Lord, I need your power. I can't do this task on my own. I need your power. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with your life. Fill me with your goodness. And and I had a gentleman come alongside me and he didn't rely on official position. He became a spiritual father to me. He started coming over my house at four o'clock in the morning and teaching me how to read the Bible teaching me how to pray, teaching me how to share the gospel. He literally became a father in the faith. I had so many tutors, so many people I listened to, but I had one man who invested in me. It made all the difference. And then he would come and he would pray with me and he would help me learn how to contend in prayer and he taught me about intercessory prayer and he taught me about the things of God. And as I got a scholarship to come and study theology in America, he was very, very nervous. And he said this to me, John, God's given you a rare heart to serve him. And you're going to move into an academic and pragmatic environment in theological institutions in the United States. And you're going to be very tempted because of the inadequacies you feel because of your lack of education. You're going to be very, very tempted to put all of your effort into making A's in school. And he said this to me, and I'll never forget it, right as I'm getting ready to leave. 
He said this, I want to plead with you, if you make a choice in your life between walking with God's authority or getting A's, walk with God. If it's a choice between an A academically and a C with anointing, take the C. Nobody will ever ask what you made in New Testament Greek, but everybody will know if the hand of God is on your life. That's a spiritual father pouring. By the way, I made a B in New Testament Greek. Split the difference. My point is simply this. As we think about the future, as we think about reclaiming authority to minister out of, I just want to urge you to do this. Find people in the coming generation. Do not rely on title or position. Bring them into your heart. Become a spiritual mother and father. Invest in them, love them, and serve them. And don't resort to technique. Do not rely on formulas that have worked in the past. Plead to regain intimacy and authority with God. And as you do, may we learn to walk like Jesus in authority wherever we go so his kingdom comes in this generation as it is in heaven. Amen. Wow, great, great 20 minutes to start a Monday, right? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Really awesome. I, I, like I said, I was worried that things wouldn't hold up, but it absolutely does, maybe even more so. I know we've talked a little bit about how uh, COVID and the COVID season that uh, we're, we're, we've led through, we're coming out of now, uh, really has just quickened a lot of things. And I think that that is really true. I think the quickening of questionable authority, right? The, 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 the challenge for the authority of scripture, the, that challenge for authority of the, of the church, of leadership, uh, of, of, of even uh, Christ, you know, is, is constantly a battle. And uh, I think uh, rightly so uh, called a crisis uh, by John Tyson. If you're just joining us or you got a chance to listen in on uh, John's comments, um, Matt Reagan is here with us from Southeast Christian Church. Uh, if you have a question uh, for Matt, please don't hesitate to drop that question in the comments section as we chat about this. Uh, but Matt, just before we got started this morning, we were talking about really uh, how Southeast has kind of grown and just a tremendous yeah. legacy there in Louisville. Uh, just e even this past week, uh, opening up your 14th campus. Uh, mm -hmm. So along with that, I'm sure has come an awful lot of life lesson that really, or some leadership lesson that really talks specifically in tune with what John was saying here, that mm -hmm. shift really happening. There are many people who would say, yeah, the hierarchy of the church. Well, you need to do this because the church says so, right? That's really very old school, but that shift mm -hmm. from hierarchical to relational really is something that is, is such an important um, uh, shift and an important thing for people to understand and know. I mean, how have you seen that sort of manifest it, it itself in the way that you all have uh, continued to grow and the way that you've continued to see uh, impact there in, in the Louisville region? You know, what's funny is as a young leader, so, you know, you have young leader lessons and then, and then you, then the Lord walks you through a lot. I remember coming in as a young leader uh, to this place, but then not only that, but, you know, so many of our friends and people that we love are in uh, churches all over the country. And there's, there are all these narratives of about, you know, and you feel like, so I'm an inner city, city street kid. You know, I didn't grow up with all this and, and church and mega church and, and I didn't plan any of this. Um, and so when you walk in, I remember coming into my, in, you know, into my situation at the time, we only had one campus at the time, 
but anyway, everything was was um, big, and the emphasis was always on growing and structure and business models. And I remember as a young guy, just thinking, "Man, I've I have here's what I've experienced. I've experienced having spiritual fathers in my life, um, and they've radically changed me." So my experience with the church was not a hierarchy; it was a relational institution for me. I I didn't, you know, I I'm the one that led my dad to faith. Every single person in my life, um, I'm always grabbing onto these spiritual fathers. And the church was the place where I ran into spiritual fathers and mothers, too. Um, and then fast forward here, I'm in this church and things are big and complex. And you start buying. This is me. I started buying, I think, the lie that um, if it's organized well enough and if it has the right principles and strategy and structure and vision, it's going to work and it's going to flourish. And I'm just telling you, over the, if, if I've learned anything in the last 15 years here, the last 24 years total in ministry and working with partner organizations, everything. It's what John said, the way of the, the way of Jesus is really the only way. I think COVID, if anything, exposed um, a lot of a lot of things. I think some of it is that for churches that relied on their strategies and structures, um, they were in a lot of trouble. Um, but for um and everything has a strategy and structure. Um, but for people wh whose churches were really built around this principle that, that our job is to really get people connected intentionally, relationally with others. And um, then not just as the, as a pastor, I, I want that. Um, and I've had to learn how to step into that. Uh, as a matter of fact, after the Spire talk in 2019, I remember going back and I'm going, I, I need to figure out that I need to figure out where authority comes from. And I did a super nerdy study uh, out of Luke 9 and 10 and a few other places on authority, read a bunch of books on it. Um, but for me, the, the, the shift as a church has to be around this issue. How do we set not just pastors, but even lay people, uh, especially lay people, up into spiritual, having spiritual authority in others' lives. Mm -hmm. A, that there's a bar that mature Christians need to step up and into to say, um, I've been given authority. Uh, if you remember uh, Matthew 28, uh, the very first thing he does before he gives a great commission, it says, all, all power and authority has been given to me, therefore. So Jesus, when he was given his authority, he recognized what comes with, there's a calling that comes with authority. I think for all of us, I think we th there's something about, the mantle of our calling and our understanding of authority that we have to give to people. Jesus gave it quickly. We need to give it quickly. And so men and women that understand the authority and understand their role in the church to be mothers and fathers spiritually, it's just massive. And the number one thing that I hit, you know, I, I'm a fire hose every time he gets me wound up. <laughs> um, but really, uh, you know, all of this has to be marked by love. If the church is going to be marked by anything in the future, it's got to be marked by love. I, I was reading through Jesus uh, talking about the end times, which everybody's talking about end times and we're in the end times and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting. The number one thing Jesus uses as a descriptor when he talked about the end times was not their theology was going to be crazy and it wasn't all this. It was actually that the love of most will grow cold. Mm. And I just thought that's really interesting um, that that's the way that Jesus would say, you know, it's getting bad when there's no love in a loving church understands its authority and wields it relationally in people. So um, powerful, but I've seen it time and time again. Shift from, you know, the institutional role 
to spiritual authority, something that really, you know, hit me was, um, you know, as, as we've all kind of gone through this season where we, 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 uh, we, we closed down perhaps uh, buildings for a little while, we reopened and people, some people came back and we had this digital uh, technique, right, that we've used. And then this physical technique that's been used, right? I think more than anything, what's become a bit exposed is, you know, there has to be this passing on of that authority, right? To people in the way that they're living their daily lives and the way that they truly are growing in a spiritual nature and the way that they truly are, are, are engaging with the spirit of God, you know, in a real and authentic way. Um, because we, I've used this phrase a little bit, you know, we've, we've got to be able to help people move from being consumers to being contributors to the mission of the church, right? How do we make that shift from, from just helping people be consumers to being uh, contributors? And if, if we're not careful, you know, we will instill technique, right? We'll instill technique and say, okay, here's how you do that. Here's how you contribute and check the box, right? As opposed to saying, no, this comes from an authentic place of growth and development in, in, in nurturing your spirit along with the spirit of God and growing in an understanding of who Christ is so that you can move from a point of consumer church product um, uh, engagement to being part of that missional uh, contribution that we're supposed to be as the church. And certainly, as, as I know, you've seen um, uh, uh, Southeast grow and continue to grow throughout community. You know, there have been opportunities where you've really seen people who have moved from being a consumer to being a contributor. And uh, maybe just share a little bit uh, about um, how you're seeing that even happen today. Some of the things in, in the, that you all are doing, some of the things that you're seeing really work well uh, in terms of being able to uh, to make uh, help people make that shift. Yeah, you know, the so we, you know, we have a, we have the blessing of being the church that's over 50 plus years, you know, nearing 60 here and um, so many faithful people and we just so love them, you know, and some of, some of this stuff is generational and it's what God wants to do in this day in our church. I just had literally sitting right here uh, an hour ago, I had a 68 year old man who's uh, part of our security team just came in, wanted to chat Jesus and and um, we just did. So we just dove in and he was asking me all these questions about the church and how it's different, how it's changed. And, you know, he said, it's just so weird. And, and he he is so and that generation was hierarchical. You know, I, you know, with with the church, he respects this person because they have a position. Uh, you know, people mm -hmm. older yeah. call Pastor Matt or, they, you know, all these mm -hmm. kinds of things mm -hmm. in a, a younger generation. um I'm just telling you, it's it's not that way, but I'm not positive it's bad because he just kept saying, you know, I just wish that they, you know, would would value your position and your authority. Uh, talking in general, not about me specifically. And what's interesting is when I came on 15 years ago, I remember that in this church was was like a lot of the churches around. They it had uh, the church had aged. Uh, it really had. And, and so on staff, um, you know, at the time. You know, when I first got here, oh gosh, I remember doing a, I asked, as soon as I stepped into leadership about 14 years ago, I said, hey, I just want a rundown of staff and what they look like and what their ages are. And pretty fast they came back and I, I said, I just want to know the, the amount of people under 40 that we have. And at that time ran a report and there were uh, on our entire staff of, I want to say right around that we had like 300 plus staff at the time. Um, I think the entire under 40 group was like 50 and that was under 40. Hmm. 
And at that time, we and I just remember going, well, that's awesome because I love all these people. Um, but this shift that we've got to make, um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to really get our minds around it. So who are, who's going to lead the way on that? Who are the staff and volunteers and all that kind of stuff. And so we just started making the shift to, okay, this next generation. And again, as much as the previous generation honored hierarchy and IBM, they loved working there. You know, the, the, my cop friend was like, it was a career. It was never a job to us. You just, you did your duty and that's who you were. This next generation coming is like, I don't, Duty's not my deal. Relationship's my deal. Mm -hmm. I want I want a spiritual father. I want somebody to help me work out my calling. And so we just we started flipping internally. We had to start flipping the narrative of our church, just saying, yes, we love who we are and we love what we've done. And uh, I think Will Mancini talks about this a little bit. Um, and, and the church is going to have to be for this next generation, a place where you can really find your calling. Um. And, and you need, in order to really step in your calling, you need somebody to lead you in that. You need somebody to help you figure out who you are so you can figure out how to really step into what God made you to, to do. I think that's a great question, right? And so we, you know, made the shift. I, I ran a report, gosh, just this last, uh, a few months ago. I said, okay, now I want, that, that, that was uh, 50 under 40. I said, I want to run a, another report. I just want to see where we are. We've been doing a lot of things and helping with calling and helping people understand authority and connecting people with spiritual fathers and mothers, even on staff and in lay. And I just want to see it. And we had like 130 staff members under 30 in a staff now that's, you know, probably right around four or four fifty. And so I just thought to myself, we, you know, that you started seeing the inside change. You started watching. We had to start coming up with new systems, new ways to connect people relationally as a church, you know, the, um, the vision change for us, we, you know, our vision right now is we want to unleash the full force of the church to love people one at a time. Um, that wouldn't have flown 10 years ago, but right now you've got a generation of people that are saying, I, I know that God's made me on purpose. I don't know how to figure this out. And so would you come alongside me? Would you unleash me? And I want to do it with a family. That's another different thing. There's not a group of individuals anymore. Everybody wants to be connected to the family, which is great for the church. And I want to make sure the aim is not a bigger organization. We, we're not trying to get more campuses. We're trying to love people. We're not, we're not trying to inflate our numbers for some magazine. We're trying to unleash the full force of the church to just love people in the way of Jesus and really walk that out. And so it is night and day for me, the, the, you know, the shift that the church has been in the midst of in these last 15 years. And I think this is, it is all about um, relational, intentional, authority-based, relational um, connections. I, I, I can't over can't overstate it. So, you know that that brings up uh, so many challenges too, because relationship, you know, on a one-to-one scale. Is, uh, is 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 achievable, right? And a relationship on a continually growing scale uh, begins yeah. to have you know some some challenges and some barriers. And then when you start looking at multiple campuses and you start looking at multiple places where people are relating to one another, and you're trying to keep that uh, you're trying to keep that cohesive. Uh, Seth Tinkler, thanks so much for joining us today, Seth. Seth asks this question: How does Southeast ensure those relationships as you continue to see that exponential growth? What's one of the ways in which you have had to intentionally um, uh, secure those relationships as you've grown? I think the big thing is, is we don't, we, 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 we can't lean into institutional authority. Mm -hmm. So if, if we're going to, if we're going to 
model and multiply a spiritual authority, then it has to be true as it true inter, inside the walls as, as, it, as it is outside the walls. I, you know, we, we're, we're trying as best we can. You know, I, I think the answer to everything without being oversimplistic is dig into the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah, was so yeah. relational and intentional. And, and um, you know, I think that, and I get it because the early, the church in the 80s, 90s was just exploding like crazy. And we were trying to figure out how to manage it all. So we leaned into a lot of management principles. The problem is you can't, I always say this, you can't do Jesus things in non-Jesus ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't keep just applying business principles without really understanding that the early church complex in us and this Jerusalem council. And then you've got over, you know, you've got all of these um, folks that are, you know, multiplying and, 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 and grabbing lay leaders. And so we're not just us, but other churches, we're not the first complex church to happen, but how did they do it? How did they do it and keep uh, spiritual authority and, and some, some hierarchy? I mean, they're, you know, um, when it makes sense relationally and, and obviously by God as well. But they were so relational in nature. So we we changed the way we do all staffs. We change, you know, Kyle, um, the way that we uh, everything is a more plural, um, relational together. Uh, we talk more about who we're going to be than what we're going to do. And for a place like that, this, it feels like to not talk about what you're going to do. When we get into a leadership meeting tomorrow morning, it feels like we've got 100 decisions to make. <laughs> so it feels like you know, the tyranny, the urgent, it just feels like if we don't do this, it's all going to fall apart. Yeah. But I feel like the way of Jesus keeps saying, if you're not relational, if you don't know your staff members, your lay people, we're, we're big on letting, unleashing the full force of church. We want to, we want lay people to, we will do anything for a lay person to really figure out how to take their next step in following Jesus, meaning like really step into their authority, not just next step in the spiritual pathway to get them baptized, but really growing and thriving in Christ. And, um, but, it, but you can't, you got to do Jesus things in Jesus ways. We can't spend all of our time internally talking about building systems and this stuff and then expect a relational output. So with our campus pastors, with our internal, we just said, we're doubling down on relationship, doubling down on Jesus and really knowing and walking with him. We're doubling down on getting on our knees and really pleading. Um, and maybe everybody else has whiteboards, but we have, you know, we have, you know, you know, knee pads, you know, <laughs> it's just, We'll trust the knee pads over the whiteboard any day of the week. And yet we're still whiteboard, but it's, it's keeping it, it's keeping it in proximity. I don't know if that was helpful or not, but. Yeah, I think so very, very much. And, you know, relationship is one of those ingredients at the Spire conference that I'm really excited to see uh, connect at again. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest shift, Chris. I yeah. do. I, and, and I'm just gonna, you know, you know, I'm, I am, I wish more of our brothers and sisters, mm as independent church as we are. And I love our independence and I hate our independence. <laughs> right, right. I wish, I wish we understood the value of sharing mm-hmm. and getting mm-hmm. together and connecting and doing this. And we've got to do more in this next generation. If we're going to figure it out, we have to. There's such an importance that, you know, when, when you're not there, you miss the opportunity to have to your content. I mean, this great content, like John shared, you know, literally when it's coming in 15 and 20 minute segments, there's literally so much to take away that, you know, you could preach on it for months. Right. Um, but, but there's the opportunity to, uh, to hear about what other people are doing, what innovations are happening, what, what can you contribute to that conversation and how do we as leaders and, and, 
the, the, the one side of, of, of independence that is so beautiful is it really inspires this entrepreneurial style of leadership, right? And being able to say, hey, we want to do what works. Hey, hey, we want to not forsake, right, relationships. Hey, we want to not forsake the power of the spirit and what we're doing. All of those things are such important ingredients. And so when we have the opportunity to come together, not only are we hearing great content, we're finding the opportunity to contribute to the discussion with one another. And we're finding this collaboration that uh, really uh, can exist. Um, and uh, I think wants to help move forward uh, our movement, move forward the church in, in, in just a variety of ways. So I'm really excited about uh, every time I get to watch something from 2019 to 2020 and our virtual conference, you know, I'm, I'm really inspired by the opportunity that we have coming up here in September uh, for uh, the uh, the Spire Conference in Nashville, Tennessee at the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center and Resort uh, to do that one more time and to see all of the fruit happen as a result of, of this this identity moment, really, that our that our movement has in being able to be collaborative. And I know you started off the conversation, Matt, just talking about how important Spire Conference 2019 was to you. You came as a little bit of a skeptic, a little bit of the, I don't know, right? But I think you, you left with a different feeling. And I know that 2021 is going to be a little bit even different. Uh, maybe you can just share a little bit about uh, your heart, what you're expecting to find there, and what you would encourage people to, uh, to jump in and uh, be a part of. Yeah, I think when John Tyson said, um, you know, they're they're literally listening to Tim Keller while eating a burrito. <laughs> right. I think of, you know, when I when I think of the church, I think of, you know, the fact that the, the future is always younger than you. It's always younger than you. And um, we have such a heritage in our movement. And I love some of our churches and some of our tribe and some of our people. Um, and so for me, um, we're, you know. To be honest, I think that, you know, you, you know, the list, we, you know, we have some of the best speakers. I mean, I'm super excited about the, the speakers because when you tee up a good conversation, it makes for a dynamic relationship. Mm. And so um, but you get a dynamic relationship with some people that are outside maybe your norm and, and you're hearing different thoughts and processes. And so, you know, I'm excited about, uh, you know, the, this upcoming, you know, 2021, because we're going to talk about what does it mean to lead forward? I think it's with everything that's happened in the last year and a half, I think we have to have some honest dialogues about what the heck just happened. Um, what do we do with today without, without every day watching the news cycle to figure out how we're going to do the next news, you know, the next sermon series and feeling like we're knee jerk and everything. when We've got the gospel of Jesus and the Holy spirit inside of us. And then what are our eyes going to fix? You know, how are, you know, that's the theme of it. We're going to, we're going to talk about leading forward. Because I don't know that there's been a more seismic shift in the church, at least in my time, than now. So the question is, okay, what happened? You know, did we get our, caught with our pants down on a couple things? Okay. Are there some things that were good for us? Were there some things that are a little painful? Uh, we're going to talk, spend a day talking about a little bit of the past, maybe even lamenting and maybe even repenting. We'll figure that out when we get there. Uh, second, we're going to figure out how do we have some anchors for today and then how do we lean in the future? All of that, I could care less about all the speaking. I think it's all great. We're going to tee up some dynamic conversations so that leaders can chat and leaders can have dynamics. And we can really, um, I, I'm praying for exponential connectivity, a brotherhood that will, and, and sisterhood, uh, that will re remember who she is a little bit and how, how beautiful it is when we do something bigger together. So uh, I'm pumped about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know me already. I'm, I'm telling everybody about it right now. I, want, I, I think it's our time. It's, we, we can't keep doing our own thing. Um, John 17, he just wanted us 
singular focus. I wanted us to be unified in some things. So I'm excited about that. Really excited. Well, if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure that you get a chance to go on and register. SpireConference.network for September 14th through the 16th. We're looking forward to being there together. Matt, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for uh, bringing that passion that you have for people and relationships. And and we really appreciate uh, John's uh, words uh, to us today and and the ability to share in in that. Uh, Just continue to uh, walk in the authority uh, of of, of Christ uh, Network. We are so uh, grateful to hear so many stories about churches that are growing, about places that have have, have really engaged digitally and, and are really pushing the limitations of their region um, and the, the way that they're able to be uh, active in their communities and beyond. And uh, so this is an exciting time uh, to be uh, leading and to be a part of, of the church and uh, look forward to being able to being together and to, uh, to walking together uh, in the future. Thank you so much for being with us today. Have a great day and a great week. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>